We are going to journey together in God's word in 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter, the entire book, is a remarkable place to begin uh, this year with. Uh, it, It speaks very uniquely and remarkably to our culture and our situation. And it's a great place to begin uh, this new year, thinking through some of the, the priorities of our faith. So let's read together. We're going to be in First Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 13 through 16. First Peter chapter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Let's pray together. Lord, Father, we're so thankful for this morning, Lord, this opportunity together as your people to to open your word and, and seek transformation, Lord, through your Holy Spirit and through the instruction of your word. And we ask, Lord, that we would enjoy this time as we look into the, this amazing passage in First Peter. And Lord, our, our goal, our plea, Lord, is that, that you would transform us, Lord, that you would redeem our hearts and that you would put us on a course uh, towards fullness and abundance. Uh, Lord, our, our hearts are with the Wimburns uh, this morning, Lord. We pray uh, for healing in, in the life of little Bo. And Lord, that you would watch over every moment, Lord, as he continues to heal at MUSC and that you would give the doctors and nurses discernment, Lord, as they care for him and that uh, you would use them as an extension of your grace to their family. And certainly, Lord, be uh, with Andrew and Megan and, and Cookie and Robert, Lord, as, as uh, they be encouraging to each other, as they depend upon you, as uh, they take comfort in, in your grace and peace this morning, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the title this morning is A New Calling for a New Year. This is a unique time of year. I, I think our interests are, are peaked uh, when we come upon the new year and we naturally start to make goals. We look back at, at last year and see how last year went and, and we look forward to the new year and we start to make New Year's resolutions. Uh, research says about 52% of Americans in our culture make New Year's resolutions. Anybody made some already? Anybody already got some going on? Not quite 52%, a, a few, few more than the first service, a few more than the first service. But New Year's resolutions are a big part of our culture. And whether you've made one or not, it, it's, it, you know, we're a very goal-minded culture. We, we make goals, we try to achieve them, and we try to better ourselves. And so what our aim is this morning is we look in First Peter chapter 1, Our aim is this concept that we must embrace and pursue our calling as followers of Jesus as our primary resolution for the new year. Leaving Jesus out of our new year's goals will result in empty half-heartedness. There's a principle that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Our goal this year as we attempt new goals, we make new resolutions, is to include Jesus in every aspect of our life and have him at the center of our goals and at the center of our resolutions. And uh, for, like I said, First Peter is an amazing book. I encourage you some point today or tomorrow to read it in one sitting. It, it has some remarkable significance for the situation that we are currently in. The, the context of... Um, the purpose of the letter, Thomas Schreiner, a New Testament scholar, tells us is to encourage believers to stand fast while they endure suffering and distress in the present evil age. 
Perseverance is exhibited by living a godly life, living as good citizens, gentle wives, and understanding husbands. When believers live in such a way, they indicate that they are placing their hope in God rather than in the joys and comforts of this world. We see Peter's goal really early on. He, he does a brief introduction, sort of in, in form of a prayer, and he says this in verse 2. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so here's what we're going to do. We're, as we're going to walk through our passage in verse 13, we're going to understand that he's, he's filtering his, everything in his book through this concept. He's wanting the Christians in Asia Minor to experience grace and peace every day. And he writes the entire book against this beautiful backdrop of the gospel. We see the, the gospel displayed constantly in the book, but specifically in, in verse three, he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here's what Peter is doing. He's, he's giving us this really this imperative, this calling. He's telling us how we are to live against this beautiful backdrop of the gospel. And he's wanting us all to experience this grace and peace. And so the question we're going to ask this morning is, how do we fulfill our calling as Christians? Experience consistent grace and peace and position Jesus at the center of our New Year's resolutions. And we're going to come to that understanding as we look through a few points from verses 13 through 16. So the very first thing that Peter is wanting us to understand is that we must have a wholehearted hope, a wholehearted hope. So how? He says in verse 13, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, as disciples, Jesus is wanting us to grow into these wholehearted disciples He's wanting us to tear down the compartments that, that we have built in our life and he's wanting to invade and, and be received into every aspect of our lives. And, and so uh, wholeheartedness is, is what we're after. And uh, he, he says, he gives us two ways that we need to be wholehearted. For us to experience wholeheartedness, for us to experience placing our whole trust in the grace of Jesus, he's, he's given us two things that we must do. He, he says first, preparing your minds for action. The King James gives us very clear uh, what, what the thrust of this passage really means. It, it says, literally gird up the loins of your minds as one tucks in the long garment to prepare to run or to do strenuous work. We see the same concept in uh, the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul tells us, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth. The ESV says, having fastened on the belt of truth. So the, the concept is, and that this was common in the first century, still common in the Middle East, is that men wear kind of long flowing robes. And for them to go into battle or to do strenuous work, they have to pull them up a little bit so that their robe does not hinder them. And we see in Ephesians chapter six, the um, armor of God passage, that they actually pull their, their robe up a little bit and sort of tuck it into their belt. And their belt's one of the most critical aspects of their weaponry. It, it holds other weapons, but it keeps the their long flowing robe out of their way so that they can do work and, and not be hindered. And this is what Peter is telling us about our minds. Prepare your minds for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your mind so that you can do battle, so that you can do work, so that you can be focused on having a wholehearted hope in the grace of Jesus. 
we also see this same concept from Jesus. He tells us in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. We cannot afford in our culture to allow our minds to drift and not be ready for action because our enemy seeks to destroy us. He, he, he walks around like, like a lion seeking to, to kill us and destroy us. We have to keep our minds ready at all times. The second thing he tells us is that we must be sober-minded. So prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you, the revelation of Jesus. So uh, being sober-minded, he's not only just referring to not living life as a drunkard, he's, he's talking also about not living life being spiritually drunk, avoiding being spiritually drunk, a life that is impaired by the distractions of this age. So we live in a very, very distracting culture. There's a lot, there's so many aspects of our culture that, that's amazing. So many opportunities come with the technology that we have. And there's an amazing new book out that James Emery uh, White has written called Meet Generation Z. Generation Z is so fascinating because they were born in the internet age. And this generation goes from around 1995 to 2010. And what's so fascinating about this generation is that they were born with this innate ability to understand the digital world. And it's gonna have, uh, it's gonna have a lot of good implications. It's gonna have a lot of negative implications. So uh, a lot of people are fascinated with this new generation. And, and uh, James and Marie White says, Generation Z is the Wi-Fi enabled generation. Generation. David Bell from the Wharton School of Business calls Generation Z the internet in its pocket generation. They are digital natives, innately comfortable with digital technology. We see on average that teenagers spend approximately nine hours daily absorbing some sort of media. Uh, it's possible that 91% of teenagers go to bed with their devices at night. Eric Smith in his book, The New Digital Age, says the internet is among the few things humans have built that they don't truly understand. It is the largest experiment involving anarchy in history. So there's a lot of really amazing things, even has a lot of great gospel implications. We have a lot of amazing tools in our culture through technology, but we also, with that comes a lot of distraction. With that comes this need to have our minds prepared for action and for us to be sober-minded. And what we understand, if we're seeking grace and peace in this life, we understand that grace and peace does not occur accidentally. We have to use intentionality. We have to be intentional about not being distracted, being sober-minded, having our minds ready for action in this culture. We live in the, the most distracted and dangerous age yet, the most susceptible be, be, to being lulled asleep by our culture. And so if, if you look at some of the goals that uh, people are making in our culture, there, there's a, a research company went back and they, they researched all the Google searches in January of 2017 of things that look like New Year's resolutions. And, and here's what they came up with. Top resolutions of 2017. Number one, get healthy. Get healthy. Nearly 63 million searches. The second thing was get organized, 33 million searches, live life to the fullest, all the way down to eight, uh, almost 19 million searches, learn new hobbies, spend less, and save more. When we look at New, new Year's resolutions, if we have made one, we, we know that a lot of those resolutions fail. Uh, the University of Scranton did a study uh, back in 2013. They actually found that 92% of New Year's resolutions fail. So if, if we look at the top resolutions of 2017, and we just assume that 92% of the people that took part in those resolutions, if, if they failed, 
that we, we could conclude that many Americans are unhealthy, they're unorganized, living minimally fulfilled lives without any hobbies and in debt and walking around void of grace and peace. We look into the gospels, we look into the New Testament and the Old Testament, we look into God's word, we see that God desires for us to live abundant and fill, fulfilled lives. And so we look out into a culture uh, that, that's struggling with that, a distracted culture that's pursuing all sorts of things of the world, then we have a very unique message for this culture. Actually, in uh, James Emery White's book, really the whole point of the book is how do we reach Generation Z? Uh, by 2020, they're going to be the largest living generation. They're going to accomplish about 40% of our population in this country. And so uh, marketing firms are, are enamored with them. And the, and the church is very concerned as well. We want to know how do we reach this new generation. Well, one of the po- first points James Emery White makes is that we must be countercultural that we must be different, that we, we must look differently. And we're going to continue with that thought in just a minute. But uh, if wholehearted hope is the goal in Jesus, we have to have intentionally prepared minds. And God communicates a beautiful truth through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If we're going to make a difference in our culture, if, we're going to, if our faith is going to be where God has designed our faith to be, we're gonna have to approach it from a wholehearted hope. The second thing that Peter is telling us is that we must fail at being conformed. If you're, if you're gonna fail at something this year, then fail at this, fail at being conformed. In verse 14, Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not be conformed to the passions, con- your, conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Implied in this statement is a beautiful truth of the gospel. One of the most beautiful concepts that you can grasp in the gospel is that you can change, that you can change. Rooted deep within the gospel is this concept that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, through his gospel, he, he, cha- he can change our lives, that we are not cursed by the situation that we're in, by the temptation that we're struggling with, by whatever is going on in our lives, that we can change, that we can be redeemed, that we can be trans. Formed, and this is ultimately what we are after as followers of Jesus. Another beautiful implied statement in here is he says, as obedient children, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So is this understanding that God does not leave us to fight our former passions in our own strength. He does not leave us in our own strength. In this situation, God is our parents and we are the children. We are the obedient children and God is coming alongside of us and he is working with us to accomplish our faith and to work out our salvation and to follow him and to work on our spiritual disciplines and and meet our goals for for his glory. So being a parent, uh, there's a lot of responsibilities. one thing I, I do just to help my, my little boy out every day, I, I take him to school. I drive him the two or three miles to school. You know, I, I probably could make him walk. I think he would learn a lot of valuable life lessons if he had to walk to school and walk home every day. But I, but I want him to meet his goals. I want him to really conquer first grade. And, and so I drop him off at the door and it works out really well. And so there's so many ways that God comes alongside of us. He does not leave us alone in our goals. He does not want us to go and try to tackle our temptations and fight temptations alone. He doesn't want us to do anything under our own power. He wants us to harness his power. And in that, he is glorified. He is glorified. And so here's what's very unique about our former passions. 
the reality is that we sometimes go back to our former passions and pleasures in what we would think is seclusion and, and, and privacy. And it's very, very important for us to understand that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere, that he is always with us. And so what happens so many times, we, uh, we enter into this sort of functional atheism, this momentarily believing that there is no God just to suit our pleasure. And, and ultimately what that does is when, when we are secluded and we are private and we think that no one can see that we are giving in to temptation, in that moment we are believing that God is not present with us. And in a sense we are believing that there is no God. And essentially we are seeking to become God ourselves, that we are making the decision of what is best for us, what brings us the most pleasure. And we do that outside of the realm of what God has created. And that is exactly the reason that we call Satan, Satan. That if, if Satan would not have wanted and desired to be God himself and make his own decisions, he might would be at the right hand of the Father in, the, in his presence in heaven right now, but he is not because he did not want to follow God's created plan. Same thing that got Adam and Eve in trouble in the Garden of Eden and uh, brought uh, the disobedience and consequences for it into our lives. So ultimately what we have to wage war against is wanting to be our own God. And so this is where failing at being conformed is so important that we must not conform to the culture around us. The third thing that Peter is telling us to do, remember your calling. Remember your calling, which is holiness. In verse 15, Peter says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Going back to what James Emery White said in his book, Meet Generation Z, if we are to really reach this culture, if we are to communicate a uniqueness and an authenticity of the church to this new culture, we have to be different. We cannot open God's word and communicate this message of the gospel and then go into the world and live like the world. We have to be different. And this is the exact meaning of what holiness means. So God is holy. He's completely holy. He's completely different. It's completely different and set apart and sanctified from us. And we are only able to enjoy the presence of God and enjoy a relationship with him if we enter into his presence and have a relationship through the finished work of Jesus in his life and death and resurrection. We cannot approach God without Jesus being sanctified through Jesus, being justified through him. We are called as the church to be different to be countercultural, to approach life and culture at a much different angle than the world does. Schreiner, Thomas Schreiner says this, calling is not just an invitation, but it conveys the idea of God's power in bringing people from darkness to light. Our holiness is not independent of God's power. He receives glory when we are holy. He does not want us to attempt righteousness on our own because it's completely impossible. When we look at the concept of grace and peace, you, you, you ask the question, well, peace from what? Well, peace from trying to be perfect all on our own. That is what God is giving us. That, this is the angle at which peace is coming to us from is that we are able to raise our white flag. We can put our weapons down. We can quit trying to work to be God ourselves that we can trust in Jesus and what he has done in his finished work on the cross. We see this beautiful concept displayed through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36. 
Ezekiel kind of gives us this, this man, messianic future hope that one day God is just going to step into history. He is going to plant his spirit in people's hearts. He's going to do for man what man could not do for himself. And Ezekiel tells us this in verse 22 of chapter 36. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. God is not wanting us to be holy for our own glory and righteousness. God is wanting us to be holy for his glory and our calling and for us to be set apart and for us to be fruitful in this culture that we live in. And he says this little caveat here, in all your conduct, in all your conduct, you shall be holy. So discipleship is simply inviting and receiving God into every area of our lives. And so as sinful human beings, our natural reaction is to build compartments, put up walls in our life. We, we have our Wednesday, Sunday compartment. We have our work compartment, our, our team compartments. We have our school compartments. And what happens is uh, we start to follow Jesus in some of our compartments and neglect Jesus in others. And this is exactly what discipleship is wanting to break down for us to invite and receive Jesus into every area of our lives and break down these walls and, and get rid of the seclusion and privacy of our lives and invite Jesus into every single area. And in that, we become redeemed and restored and he's able to accomplish amazing things through us. And so what we must do in our New Year's goals, we must invite Jesus into every aspect of them. So what, whether your goal is to get healthy or get organized or live life to the fullest, spend less money, save more, whatever that is, Jesus wants to be at the center of that. He wants to walk with you through it. He wants to help you. In it. He wants to be glorified in it. Let's revisit Peter's initial goal in, in verse two, that the believers would experience compounding grace and peace in their lives. Think of sort of compounding interest. This is what Jesus is wanting for us, that grace and peace is just going to constantly, constantly multiply. And so consistency is the sweet spot of God being glorified in our lives. Um, Brad Lomanek uh, last year wrote a book called H3 Leadership. And in it, he points to a Duke University study that concluded that, that around 40% of daily actions are not really decisions, but they're habits. He says, half of your day will be determined by the patterns you intentionally create or passively allow. And we see that research shows establishing habits can take 30 to 90 days, depending on the individual and the habit. And so for us to develop consistency in our lives, we must develop habits that glorify the Lord in our daily lives every day. And we must consistently do them to experience this compounding grace and peace in our lives. And so things like simple Bible reading. Simply having a, a, a vibrant prayer relationship with God and in biblical meditation, just opening God's word, looking at a small passage and just pouring over it and reading it and reading it and just thinking about how you can apply that to your life and memorization of God's word and fasting and so many of the other spiritual disciplines. These are the things that God is wanting us to uh, to make goals for in our lives. And so if you're wanting to tackle anything, if you're wanting to lose weight or save more or plan for that vacation or whatever you're doing, if you're starting to accomplish a goal and you do not already have these basic spiritual habits in place, you want, you want to start there. You don't want to start, you don't want to try to accomplish anything without having God uh, come along with you in, in those things. And so it, it, habits take anywhere from 30 to 90 days. So it, it, it takes a while. It takes a while to get these habits ingrained in us. And I tell students so many times, especially during the summer, 
that the summer is an amazing time to develop some of these godly goals and godly habits because this is really the slowest pace of your life. You may not understand it, but if you're not able to do a, a, Bible, a daily Bible study now, it's gonna be really, really hard as you go into college and then you start a family, you start working, you have kids. We, we have to start really early with these godly habits and build on those so that they become what we just said, habits, that they become ingrained in us. And the big why in all of this, why, why do we want to center Jesus in all of our goals? Why do we want to center Jesus in our life? The big why is for God's glory and our calling, carrying out what he has called us to. I want to end this morning with a quick story. Uh, when we moved here to Columbia, uh, I, I bought a different car. I had a truck when I was in the upstate. I didn't really need the truck anymore. I, I traded it in and, and I got a car. I, I kind of have a principle of cars. I always buy used cars. Uh, I always buy a car that's at least under 10,000, uh, usually a lot less. And uh, I, I, I buy cheaper cars just because I don't want to get upset if my kids spill something in it. Or um, with kids, you, you always park, you know, just as close as you can because you're usually carrying groceries and carrying kids. And so you don't really consider uh, your parking spot if somebody's going to bump you or not. I just, I don't want to get, I don't want to get upset if it, if it gets bumped up a little bit. And um, so one unique thing about this car that has been driving me crazy is this little check engine light comes on intermittently. Anybody got a check engine light right now on in their car? Okay, we've got a few going on. So this check engine light absolutely drives me crazy. Get my car started up, little ding comes on, there's a check engine light. It can be anything from something kind of serious or just an emission sensor. Your gas cap may not even be tightened enough, but it comes on and off. So I, I may go and park and turn it off, go in the store, come back and I turn the car on and the check engine light is not there anymore. Is it? My, my car is trying to decide if it's a clunker or if it's, or if it's a good, a car that's gonna get me from point A to point B. And I don't think it's anything serious, but it, it drives me crazy as it comes on and comes off. And I think there's a very clear spiritual principle here that we as followers of Jesus, we are trying to decide what our identity is, that uh, we are trying to be obedient, but every now and then we go back into the pleasures of this old life and our spiritual check engine light comes on. For me right now with my car, it's a season of life that, that I don't mind having a car with a check engine light. I, I think it's fine. There may be a, a day where I may buy a car that if the check engine light comes on, I'll just take it somewhere and, and get it fixed. But right now, I, I just don't care as much. But in your life spiritually, there's never a season of life where a check engine light is okay spiritually. There's never a season of life that God wants us to go through where little spiritual red flags pop up in our life and we realize that we are not as close to Jesus as we need to be, that we're not at a place in our relationship with God that he has designed us to be. So as we go out into our new year, we start to make goals. We wanna experience this new year with multiplied grace and peace in our lives. And as we go, uh, we wanna embrace this calling, this calling that God has on our lives to have a wholehearted hope and to not being conformed and into remembering our calling, our holiness. And we want to, experience God's glory. We want to see him glorified in our lives and we want to live up to this calling that he has called us to. My prayer for myself, my prayer for you is that you would experience grace and peace this year as you seek to live a life of wholehearted hope. Let's pray together. Lord, Father, we love you. Lord, we're so thankful for your word that we can open and 
Uh, it can speak life in, into our souls. And Lord, I pray that, that this year would be a remarkable year for us spiritually, that we would spend time with you in silence and solitude and we would not allow the distractions of this world to, to throw us off. Lord, that we would take care of those check engine lights in our spiritual lives and that we would pursue you wholeheartedly. Lord, our prayer is that you would accomplish remarkable things through us this year for your glory and for our calling. Lord, we're thankful for this time in just a moment that we're gonna take that's for us to reflect upon your word and, and to make decisions. If there's anyone here this morning that wants to know more about church membership or wants to receive you as their Lord and Savior or wants to inquire about baptism, Lord, I, I pray that they would come forward and that they would receive you in their decision, Lord. And we love you. Lord, launch us out into this culture to be different, to be set apart for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.